the best brand work is not done in a vacuum. It's not done alone. It's done by a sharing of ideas, by a constant, exhaustive exchange of ideas and exchange of creativity and a back and forth in terms of this or that. Welcome back to Uncooked, a podcast serving up raw insights for marketers as we hear the unfiltered truth from industry experts, brands, and the target audiences we serve in their own words. I'm your host, Jacqueline Lieberman, and today on Uncooked, we are returning to a conversation with Lyle Malt and Sam Dumas, co-founders of the direct-to-tabletop company called Leeway Home. Part one of this conversation explored how the duo were inspired by their own experiences with tableware options, and they created a product to address the issues involving accessibility and what it means to own beautiful tableware nowadays. We uncovered some profound insights into how consumers experience a brand and what it really means to create a brand that people love. Part two of this conversation is focused on sharing a vision with the team and the intentional choices they made from product design to marketing to keeping the customer front and center in their brand at all stages. So lots to get to. Let's dig in. The truth is, is now that we started our own brand, we feel truly every day and it's why we can work seven days a week and wake up as early as we do and get to the office because we're focused on our brand and we're focused on our own path. And so, yes, of course, there are competitors. I think the competitors are really not in our periphery because of that difference in brand spirit and brand connectivity tissue to consumers that is missing from a lot of the big box retailers or department stores. I don't want to say that there's room for everybody because I think that that's kind of maybe at this point a cliche a way of thinking about business. But I do think that our brand stands apart from the other players. I think the thing that really tells us that we're on the right track is not looking right or left. I think what tells us that we're on the right track is the feedback that we're getting from our customers, people who actually have our product in their hands and how they're responding to it. And I'm really happy to say that we've had some really positive feedback. And that makes me really happy. You know, one of the things that I've always hated is walking into a store and the one thing that I pick out is I love that. That style is great. Is the most expensive thing on the floor. <laughs> I, I mean, <laughs> I don't know what that says about me or what yeah. point is that what we're trying to do is take the style that we love and make it accessible, make it easy and bring it all together. And it seems to be working. Leeway Home is becoming a lovable brand because they're using consumer feedback as their compass. Simply put, if you want to build trust and loyalty with your customers fast, listen to what they want and just do that thing. I know it sounds simple. Analyzing your competitors is always an essential part of any strategy. I often employ what's called a judo strategy, which is, you know, a little Bruce Lee-like, but it's when you use your competitor's strengths against them. So in the case of Leeway, they took the expensive tableware styles that they love so much and they made them accessible and called them their own. Finding the white space plus using real consumer feedback, that's the winning formula. I'm thinking about the things that we use in our lives, our sort of signature Leeway dish. It's a little bit smaller than a traditional dinner plate. It's shallower than a regular cereal bowl. It has a really nice high rim to it. We 90% of our meals out of a dish like that. And now 
we're kind of positioning it as our bowl in one. It's for one plate meals, which is the way that people are eating today. It's the cornerstone of our entryway kit, which is the one dish that you need, especially in a streamlined situation due to space or budget or whatever. That dish has been getting feedback. Like we just got a comment that said, this is the dish I've been waiting my life for. That's a bit of hyperbole, but I think we're doing something that resonates. And to us, that's what really matters. Who actually designed all of your designs that you have out? We like to say that we have an army of freelance consultants and helpers. Because we're a small brand, and we're technically the only two full-time employees, but we're lucky to have friends and family coming on board to help us, uh, especially over the past couple of weeks as we've fulfilled some pretty big wholesale orders. But on the technical side of things, we work with some really skilled consultants and partners. And the person who helped us with the design of the product itself is a good friend, Dana. She's an industrial designer. She really knows her stuff. She helped us not only to identify what designs we wanted to move forward with, picking the right colorways, um, translating our, you know, we're not designers. We can't sketch a technical design that will actually function. But what we do know is what we like in the category. So she helped us to translate our glassware shapes, for example, into beautiful and functional pieces. She also helped us find our manufacturing partners, which was not a small hurdle to jump, especially as people who have always existed in an office behind a desk. Having to actually go out and do this side of the process was something we didn't know much about. And so rolling up our sleeves and having the kind of the guidance that Dana provided was invaluable to us. That's key. It looks modern without it being too modern, if that Mm. makes sense sense, you know? Thank you. That's actually a huge compliment because it's something that we were mindful of. We always said, you know, we were creating the brand and we have two collections because we believed in a level of choice for the consumer. But really the two collections, I'm partial to one as Lyle is to the other. But we wanted to make sure that they were not extreme versions of what they are. We wanted them to be accessible and palatable to a yeah. range of consumers because they are everyday pieces. And if you're looking at something every day and you're using something every day, You want it to exist within your own personal environment. And so that was always in the back of our heads. So now that you've launched and you now have real customers, have you learned anything surprising about who's actually buying your products? So, I mean, I know when you launch a business, you kind of have a picture in your head of like who your target consumer is, but has anything surprised you now that you're live and in business? Without sounding overly confident. I think with that question being asked, it's one of the things that I feel like we really did get right. The archetypes that we had concepted really early on, built the brand and the product around, kept an eye on the price. Those archetypes have proven to be quite close in reality. I totally agree. And I think it's because we base them largely on things that we've experienced and our life stages and those of the people around us, our friends. And then we sort of combine that with a little bit of customer feedback. And we're learning every single day as we get more data. But I think we were largely on the right track with, you know, most of what we were assuming might happen. And the beautiful part about the company and the fact that we are geared towards varying stages of life is that what we have seen outside of that core demo are folks that either end that are consuming the products that work for them. And so I think based on the foundation and the principles of the brand and the fact that we do have kits, both small and large at different price points, you know, some more streamlined than others, what that translates to on the back end in terms of consumers are consumers that 
a varying stage of life and ages and demos. And so I know that as we scale, it's something that I'm personally really excited to see that we are not just a brand for one type of person, but a brand that will resonate with a large swath of folks with varying lifestyles, interests, etc. I think some of the most surprising things are what people respond to. We developed the collection that we thought would sell plus what the things that we liked. You know, so it's sort of a balance of the two. Obviously, we want to sell things, but we want them to be the things that we would potentially use in our own home. And I think there's always a little bit of trepidation around, like, will people actually like this stuff? <laughs> you know, and yeah. I'm probably safe to say of any brand and any founder of any right. site, will people like it all? As Sam said earlier, we designed two collections so that there would be a degree of choice, but then four colors per collection because we wanted a mix of uh, sort of more, I don't want to say safer, but sort of more expected, like a white plate in the South mm-hmm. or a navy band in the Stripes collection as the kind of the one end of the spectrum. And then the other, the things that push the envelope a little, like a slate color in, in our solids collection, which is actually selling really well. A red band or a yellow band even. Mm-hmm. And I always thought the yellow was nice to have to round out the collection, but I wasn't really sure how well it would perform. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it was selling pretty well. And our flatware, we wanted it to be kind of universal and fit into any scenario. So it has mm-hmm. a modern feel. It's a little bit lighter weight, but it is meant to kind of be versatile. You know, it's yeah. a lot of fanfare on its own too, outside of the kind of the kit. The flatware has been really well received. So yeah, it's cool that people are responding to the things that we thought they might and then the things that we were not so sure about, but that we really liked. It's all kind of getting a lot of really positive response, which is great. Did you ever think about the thoughtful consideration behind what we place in our kitchen cabinets? Well, now you know. I'd like to take a moment, though, to highlight the old business model that used to be about just know and do, meaning you had an idea, you launched it, and you kind of hope for the best. But the new model now is know, make, do. This means this is the method of design thinking, and design thinking gives businesses the permission to start small, learn, iterate. So in essence, it's fewer features with a bigger punch rather than let's just kitchen sink it on the first try. Sam and Lyle did the smart thing by surrounding their new brand with people who could iterate their vision, and then they did a soft launch to listen and learn from real buyers. That's the way to do it. I'm going to go completely out on a limb and take a wild guess and say that Lyle is stripes and Sam is soft. I was going to ask you that. Am I right? Yeah. Totally right. Yeah. Well done. (laughs) Well done. Uh, That's awesome. Total (laughs) guess. Not really a guess though. That's great. I love it. So why don't you talk about where you are today with your new big news and how you plan to market and grow leeway at least for the rest of 2021 and beyond. So just yesterday, we officially launched with Nordstrom, which has been truly something that came a lot more quickly than we had anticipated. Obviously, as early stage founders, you say yes, and you figure it out later. So that's been incredibly exciting, both from a business development standpoint, but also just an understanding and a learning of an entirely different facet of the business, which is wholesale. So that just happened yesterday. And you know, the good news for us is that 
Yeah, you're laughing. It's like, yeah, it's like, oh, it's just yesterday. Just <laughs> yeah. a small brand called Nordstrom. Right. And funnily enough, what I get the chills about is early on, I would say at least a year ago, Lyle and I just decided one day, we're like, let's just create a vision board of sorts. And, you know, even saying that sometimes it can be perceived as sort of a corny exercise. But it was really, I think, that setting the intention for the path forward without sticking to it exactly, but just putting things out there in the ether. And so we had done a vision board in a very Virgo type of way with different <laughs> different categories and different sections in the wholesale retail category. The only name that we had written down on a piece of paper that we still have was Nordstrom. And I can't tell you the excitement, but the gratitude that you feel when a dream like that is realized so early on. I think that it's daunting. And it's certainly been a lot of work to get fully up to speed and compliant with one of the largest retailers in the country two months into our business. But it's been an incredible experience, both for us working together on it, but also envisioning what this will do for our business as we move forward. It goes without saying that as an early business, you know, resources are not a plenty. And so we really have to maximize every single dollar. And when we look at a relationship this early on with Nordstrom, it's truly invaluable. You know, it's invaluable to have that show of support and, you know, partnership. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I think Nordstrom also is a brand who has a very similar mission to ours. And the reason that they were on our vision board early on is because we felt like there was real alignment between what they're trying to do as a huge brand, by the way. So can you dig into that a little bit? Because, you know, people would say Nordstrom is a high-end retailer. And then everything that you've been talking about is different price points for different stages in your life. And talk about how that mind meld works. Yeah. I think number one, Nordstrom supports small businesses. And they want to be a retailer that identifies and gets behind small businesses as soon as possible and as early as possible. I don't think that that is necessarily a risk that other players in their space would take or would want to kind of take the time to cultivate. But in coming to us so early on, it really shows that not only do they want to support small business, but they want to support a diverse range of businesses and really help to elevate us right along with them. And I will note that they've also featured us as one of a handful of brands for Pride Month on their website, and they've done some kind of marketing around that, which has been great. It's small business in inclusion and diversity. It's helping to kind of spread the word of what really matters to consumers today, which is brands with stories, brands that are helping to kind of, uh, I don't want to say change the world, but at least to take things that may, or, or things about founders or brands that may not all, have always been celebrated and really bringing those to the forefront, which is awesome. But in terms of the mindset, you know, I think that they want to be thought of as a modern brand too. And I do think that they are one in their space. They are looking to do things a little bit differently. They are looking to celebrate the brands that may be a little bit off the beaten path, whether it's in terms of mission or their their life stage or or whatever it is. You know, I think Nordstrom really strives to create an eclectic and diverse range of products and founders and brands that is a message that we want to be a part of. And in terms of price point, you know, I think it's probably safe to say, well, I don't know this for sure. You know, the Nordstrom customer has probably always been in a certain space in terms of demographic, probably a little bit older, fitting into certain demographic patterns that I think Nordstrom probably sees the opportunity to kind of break a bit and speak to a new customer, a younger customer, somebody who traditionally might not consider shopping at a department store. 
But I think that they understand that that's the way that things are going nowadays. Yeah. You know, get behind this idea of modern mindset and, and having brands in your stable that represent the way people live and shop and consume today that you're going to fall by the wayside. And I don't see that happening to Nordstrom. They really are a very kind of modern and cool brand and a great partner. Yeah. Well, congrats, because that's a huge feather in your caps there to be able to say that. And I'm definitely going to check out the Pride call out. So that's on their site. The important strategy both Nordstrom and Leeway Home are employing is this notion of a like-minded partnership, like-minded in terms of values. So beyond making money, do both brands value the same things that they think are important? Do they have similar audiences who share similar points of view and values? In this example, Nordstrom and Leeway Homes are tightly aligned. And the byproduct of this partnership is that Nordstrom quickly gives a new up-and-coming brand like Leeway instant credibility, while Leeway gives Nordstrom's brand that fresh vibe that big name retailers always clamor for. That's why it's important for all brands to carve out their unique points of view so they can make key business decisions down the road, like partnerships. We don't see Patagonia partnering with an oil drilling company, right? All right then. I'm a branding geek and you know that brand purpose is my jam. So let's talk about, I know you have a brand purpose articulated and it's live your way. Yes. So why don't you talk to me a little bit about that? Because it also flexes as a tagline. And I know that we used live your way as a North star in a session that we did together right. and where we articulated your brand values. So Imagine a brand manager listening to this podcast right now who's in the throes of their everyday stuff. And sometimes when they think of brand purpose or they think of brand values, it's like, oh, I don't even have time for that right, right now. Right. All the things that I have to manage. But talk to that brand manager as an audience and say, you know, why do you think it's important to have these things articulated? Well, I think in short, the answer is because emotion both in business and in life, I think that emotional tie to the company, to the product you're selling is probably in my mind, the most important aspect. Yes, we are selling dinnerware, glassware and flatware, but we're selling a lifestyle. We're selling a spirit. We're selling an energy. And for us, both in comparison to what was out there, and we've talked about that, but the business that we wanted to create this idea of living your way, being confident in who you are, celebrating the stage of life you're in, working to fulfill your own life's purpose was something that was inherently true to the brand we wanted to create. We didn't want there to be a pressure or a rule setting any longer. We wanted there to be a flexibility and a freedom. And I think that with any good idea, there needs to be that emotional connective tissue. There needs to be that something that either separates you from the pack or provides context to what you're selling. What I would add is that having that key foundational principle to guide the decisions that you make and the direction that you want to take your brand in is really important because without it, you might get lost. And quite frankly, when we found that tagline, and we thank you for helping us to do that because uh, you know we had a work session which really did kind of set the stage for how we decided to launch the brand and how we message our, our consumers and you know kind of everything that you see. Having aligned on that tagline that was always kind of right under the surface mm -hmm. because we felt what it was, but 
sometimes it's hard to articulate unless you can kind of bounce things back and forth. So having a session where we could kind of get that down on paper and then use that to understand how it related to the, the key pillars that we want our brand to stand for and how we utilize it going forward has really helped us to set clear guardrails on our brand. Yeah. Quite frankly, without them, it's easy to kind of pivot in a different direction. And well, that might be fun or that might also be sometimes important, being able to bring it back to that core which can involve sometimes for us, this is, you know, we're early on. So this live your way is the core tenant right now. And I'm excited to see how it kind of evolves around that same, you know, center stone. But in the future, it's important to have it just to kind of keep you on track. If you've listened to any of my podcasts, you already know what I'm about to say. Building a house on a shaky foundation is the quickest way to fail. You can't just launch a brand without thinking through the value it brings to people. And I mean all people. The value that it brings to the founders to get them excited to work every day and get them out of bed. The value it brings to employees so they become invested truly in the brand that they're working for. And the value that you bring to the consumer's life. I'm so grateful to Lyle and Sam for their transparency in their branding process. They're proof that when you do the heavy lifting of brand work in the beginning, decisions become easier down the road. Now, let's hear about how this early brand work showed up and how they hired their team. Why don't you talk a little bit about your hiring practices? You're in the Navy Yard. You are taking great pride as to where you are in terms of your location and the community that you're in. I'm so happy to speak to that. We made the conscious decision early on to build a brand, build a company that was standing for more. You know, yes, I keep saying this, but we are selling dinnerware, glassware, and flatware. But For us, just as entrepreneurs, as people, that's not good enough. So how can we turn our business, our small business right now, into something more meaningful? And one of those early on decisions was our warehousing and fulfillment. That's why we were sort of brought to the Navy Yard. I think a lot of people know the Navy Yard is really an institution that's been around since World War II. And the reason that the Navy Yard was the place for us is because it's support of the local community. The Navy Yard is working to bring manufacturing back to the yard. But for us, more importantly, they have a lot of services that benefit scholarship students or the local community, folks who may have been out of work due to the pandemic. And so it was a way for us to, in the early days, give back to the community by hiring from that recruitment center. And we have an intern that's on a scholarship program from St. Andrews, and we're super excited to welcome her this summer. It's provided a foundation for us that we wouldn't have had the time or the resource or the energy to really put into place. And so it's been a really impactful step for us in terms of the future of our business. Great. I will add to that, that once we can start to actually hire full-time employees, (laughs) we're sort of freelance and part-time right now as we need the help. But once we start to hire employees, I think it's really important to us as sort of a hiring principle and practice to make sure that we have a lot of different points of view in the office. I'll leave it at that. It's more than just background, but really about your experience and your point of view on the world. And that might come from any number of places, but 
it's easy for the two of us to kind of exist in a little bit of a bubble. I mean, we go from this space to our office, <laughs> at, our, at our apartment, <laughs> which is about a 10 minute walk to the office. So <laughs> what we see in that 10 minutes is really yeah. outside in space one and space two. But beyond that, you know, I think we bring different points of view, even to the equation of just the two of us. What we want to do beyond that is expand into being a workplace of people who bring different perspectives that aren't afraid to speak up, that will kind of tell us how they see our brand evolving, not just in terms of products, but also in terms of how we benefit our local community and communities outside of just ours. And that's really important to us. So in terms of our hiring practices, I think it's safe to say that, you know, we really strive for this multi perspective, diverse, inclusive space. I think it's funny because the buzz term is diversity, equity, and inclusion that every company is trying to now enforce. But it seems like that that has been a core tenant for you from the very beginning. So that's kind of how it should be done. Yeah. So that's really nice to see. Last question that I ask all my guests because I always get such interesting answers. Write the headline five years from now in a glowing feature story about Leeway Home? For me, it would have a strong tie to Leeway Home and its founders building their own manufacturing and supply chain distribution center. I think for us, the expansion in that way would be incredibly exciting. And so I would like to see us have more control over the manufacturing aspect of it is the real reason why we took on our own fulfillment and warehousing is to have control over as much as we could to be part of the process, part of every package that is sent to every consumer to have that touch point internally for every new hire. For us, it's incredibly important. So I think the headline for me would be expansion, but in a manufacturing sense and the ownership and the bringing back home of that manufacturing. I think that's a really big part of it for sure. And what that does to support our community in terms of jobs that we can provide and really taking charge of as much of the process, like Sam said, as possible. I mean, for me, I would like the message to continue to be just on a larger scale, Leeway Home continues to make it easier for people to live how they want to live, for lack of a better way of saying it. And I don't know if that means new generations of customers wouldn't really be technically be a new generation in five years, but touching on a more diverse range of customers in terms of ages and um, and, and geographies and maybe being able to, to expand beyond the U.S., which is currently the addressable market that, that we're facing right now, just shipping within the U.S. But expanding outside of that, expanding into new areas of the home, making it easier for people to live how they want to live. That's a wrap for part two of our conversation with Lyle and Sam. I had so many moments throughout this conversation that made me smile, but here are some key points I'd like you to hold on to. The first is sharing your brand message with your team can be like playing a game of telephone. It's up to you to create a clear, concise message and then find the right people to infuse that message into the rest of the business. Lyle and Sam sought help from a friend to help bridge the gap between their design ideas and then their new design team. Do you have a resource that you could utilize to close your own gaps? Secondly, when it comes to competitive analysis, remember to try that judo strategy of using your competitor's strengths against them. Once you find the white space, the fastest, most reliable way to build trust with your audience is to listen to their feedback. 
Leeway Home is focused on what their customers are saying all the time, and it's paying off in the form of alliances with larger companies that they could have otherwise be competing against. Nice going, Nordstrom. And finally, the third point, when you do the foundational brand work, it makes everything from marketing to partnerships to hiring the right culture so much easier. Decisions that could cause you to pivot now have a structure, all because you have an inspiring purpose, values that guide your actions, and a clear message to measure everything against. In the next episode of Uncooked, we're continuing to explore what it means to be a functional brand that people love. This has been an episode of Uncooked. I'm Jacqueline Lieberman, founder and chief strategist at Brand Crudo, a marketing consultancy. You can learn more about what I do at brandcrudo.com. If you like what you heard, please rate and subscribe and review this episode. I'd really appreciate it. Thanks so much for listening.